Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John, and this is the 113th program in this series. I'm at the end of the Lord's Prayer as the Lord was praying to his God in John chapter 17. I'd like to spend a little bit more time in verse 18. I was in verse 18 in the previous message. In John chapter 17, verse 18, Jesus said, As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. He was speaking about his disciples directly, and he was also speaking about us indirectly. And in the previous message, I was explaining that the Lord Jesus had his unique ministry that the living God sent Jesus for specific tasks, for specific reasons, and these are not necessarily going to be the same as we experience in our own lives and in our own relationship with our God and in the relationships that we have with the people of our time. In addition to that, I spoke about him directly sending us to speak to people in the world about him, and about the covenant that is in effect now, but that we can also take the initiative and go ourselves. This is what I was explaining in the previous message. In this message, I would like to continue with a few more things about verse 18. For example, we can also be involved in a group effort, in a collective effort. This radio program, for example, for Living God Ministries, is a collective effort. I have the sincere belief that God has sent me to produce these radio programs and to broadcast them on whatever stations I'm able to broadcast them on. I do have this conviction. It is only possible because I have people who are willing to donate towards this effort. And of the people who are donating towards this effort, I am confident that there are some people who are doing so because God has specifically encouraged them, he has communicated with them in a way that they are certain that God wants them to donate towards this work so that the radio stations can be paid and the cost of the labor associated with producing these programs can also be paid for. But in addition to that, I know that there are other people who give just because they want to, just because they know that what they give will be used so that other people will benefit from the work that we have been able to do, just as they have benefited from the work that we have done. But what is unique about this is that this is a collective effort. It is something that we are doing together. And like I said, some people are participating because God has directed them to do so. Other people are participating because they want to. But instead of each individual, each individual person going out and speaking with others about the gospel, instead of that, what we have is we have a lot of people who are doing work on their regular jobs 
and they are not personally going out to speak with people, but they are sharing a part of what they have earned so that this ministry can reach out to other people. And in this way, we could say that it's being done on behalf of the donors. But this is a different kind of effort as what I think Jesus was referring to in verse 18. It's a collective effort. And this collective effort is effective. It's very effective. And I believe that we are doing a whole lot more collectively in this way than what we could do individually. So I wanted to include this in the topic of God sending us out into the world so that the people of the world can be saved. Another thing that I would like to mention that relates to this is that we were called out of the world ourselves. But then in these different ways, we go back into the world from which we came so that we can reach out to the people with the message of the gospel and with the truth of our God so that they also can be saved. And another way of viewing what we are doing is we can view this as a collective effort. God initiated by sending the Lord Jesus himself and he conducted his ministry himself. But then there became a collective effort in the sense that the disciples participated in reaching out to others with the truth of God. And then those who believed because of what the disciples said, they went out and spoke with others about the truth of God. And this has been going on ever since. And so there is a collective effort that continues to increase as more and more people respond to the truth that our God has revealed. And so that's another way that we can understand the collective effort that we are all participating in, in whatever way that we are ready to do so. But I would like you to see and understand that we go back from where we came. We go back in order to reach out to others who also need to be drawn out of the world. Another thing that I would like to bring up is that this is not necessarily a lifetime effort or a lifetime experience. Consider the Lord Jesus and how he lived his life. He lived his life for over 30 years, and yet his ministry was only a few years. What was he doing for the rest of that time? You could say that maybe about 10% of his life was spent telling people about the truth of God in the public way that he did. For those other years, he was living his life as a man in such a way that when he began his ministry, everyone was quite surprised. There were a lot of people who were concerned, who already knew who he was as Jesus, as the person who was a brother, who was a son, who was a worker, who was a participant in the lives of other people. It appears that nobody considered that maybe he was the Messiah until after he started performing miracles and after he had people who were testifying about him, for example, John the Baptist. So if that is something that happens in our own lives, whereas we only see a few years of being actively participating in the lives of other people, telling them about the Lord, telling them about the gospel, then we should not consider that to be unusual necessarily. In my own life, there were some years, my early years, I was very active in telling people about the truth that God revealed to me. But then there was a time when I was occupied with other things. I had to do other things. And it limited my ability to talk with people. 
I was fortunate if I met one person a month that I could speak to. Today, I'm speaking to hundreds of thousands of people every day through the radio program and through the Internet. Now, in a couple of years, this might be different. Maybe I go back to only speaking to one person a month. And I would not consider that to be a failure or some expression of God rejecting me or abandoning me or me even abandoning the faith. It can just simply be a reflection of the natural and regular changes that happen in our lives. Now, I certainly have no intention of making that kind of a change. But again, there are all kinds of changes that happen in people's lives, and you never really know what the future may hold. But I think it's important for us to pay attention to these things and to understand these things. Otherwise, we might find ourselves having expectations that are simply unrealistic. And it can lead us to a lot of opportunities for depression, to say the least. Now, continuing into verse 20, in John chapter 17, verse 20, Jesus goes on and he says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Jesus expresses that he expects there will be a lot of other people who will believe because the disciples will tell them about him. But I think this is a way for him to express that this is going to go on for a long time, that he suspected or he knew that there would be a lot of people for centuries, for thousands of years now, who would continue the message that he initiated when he was conducting his ministry. And he prayed for us. He prayed for you. He prayed for me. And he prayed for those who will come after You and I. In verse 21, we see a little bit more about what he's praying. In verse 21, he says that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Now, how is it that we are going to be one just as he and the Father are one? Jesus in the Father and the Father in Him. How is it that we are going to be one with one another? I explained this in previous messages, that this is only possible through our common belief in what is true and in our common belief in the God who really is, who we know. This is the only way. Now, you probably have discovered by now that there is a lot of disagreement about the truth that God may or may not have revealed. If you look at the collection of people who consider themselves to be Christians, believers in Jesus, believers in the gospel, you will find that there is a lot of variation concerning what people believe. There are a lot of differences about the beliefs that people have, and there are a lot of disagreements concerning what people believe is true, And what is not true? The unity that exists within believers is a reflection of what they believe is true. So the variations and the differences exist and the amount of unity that exists is a proper reflection of the variations and the differences that people have. This has always been the case and it always will 
And so even though Jesus prays that we may be one, just like he and the Father are one, it has never been that way in the totality of the church. There has always been variation, there has always been differences, and there probably always will be. And so what do we do about this? Well, we can be thankful for the amount of unity that we can embrace. Knowing that we're not going to have as much as we would like, we can enjoy what we can get. And we can continue to try to pursue an increase in the unity among each other. But again, this is only going to be realized when the individuals have a relationship with their God individually, such that each individual is believing the same truth that God reveals. Again, there are disagreements about what God reveals. And so this is going to be a struggle. But the solution is not necessarily going to be us arguing with each other and debating with each other until one person concedes and one person declares victory. It's not going to happen that way. We have to encourage every person to continue to pursue a knowledge and understanding of the truth that God has revealed. We have to encourage everyone to continue to pursue a personal relationship with their God so that they may know who he is. A lot of what I do has to do with trying to clear the barriers, the things that people believe that are not true, with hope that if those barriers are clear, then they will be able to easily move forward towards embracing the love of God for what it really is. That's something that I have done a lot of, and I will continue to do this in addition to just simply being very direct about what is true and what is not from what I understand. So this is something that Jesus prays for, but it is not necessarily fulfilled as much as we would hope. Again, in verse 20, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Now, the people who are in the world will believe that the Father sent Jesus because that is true. People will believe it when they find enough evidence to convince them, if they'll look for it, that this is true. It's not going to be a condition of our unity. That's one way the people will perceive verse 21, that, well, if we could just be unified, if we could just get together well enough, then the people of the world will be so impressed that they will believe that the Father sent Jesus. And this is not necessarily going to be the case. There are other reasons, there are better reasons for people to believe that Jesus was sent by God. If we use the condition of our unity, well, then they can also use that as a reason to reject the truth that the Father sent Jesus. They could use that as a way to reject it because there will always exist a measure of disunity among the people who are believers in the Lord Jesus just because we're all in a different stage of growth and maturity in our understanding of the gospel. This should be expected. This should be embraced. Continuing into verse 22, And the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, 
the glory in the sense that they may be known, that he may be known, and that they may be known. Again, in verse 22, And the glory which you gave me, I have given to them, the revelation of our God and the Lord Jesus, such that they may be known. That is their glorification. And he has given these revelations to us, that we may be one just as He and the Father are one. If we will embrace the truth of the manifestation of our God and the way that he has made himself known. That is the glory which God gave to Jesus and that he has passed on to us. Verse 23, I in them and you in me that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Now, this is important, this idea that our God loves us. There are a lot of obstacles that people struggle with in recognizing that God loves them. I will come back to this as he presents this again in verse 26. So moving on into verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me. For you love me before the foundation of the world. Now, we already explained to the disciples that he is going away to prepare a place for them. And he is going to return in order to bring them to the place that he is preparing for them. So when he says at the beginning of verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me, may be with me where I am, that is definitely going to happen. And moving on, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me. This is a way of us recognizing that when we do go into his presence, we are going to know him more. He is going to be glorified more. That's what it means for him to be glorified, that he may be known. I explained this in the previous messages. Moving to the end of verse 24, when he said, For you loved me before the foundation of the world. This is an expression of Jesus to declare his eternal existence, that he really is the living God, and that he is an expression of the love of God. For you loved me before the foundation of the world, to me is a way of God saying that he loves the opportunity to provide redemption for those who are lost, that people may be made into new creations, may be made into children of his, and have a place in his home for all eternity, that this is an expression of love, and that he anticipated that this would be a part of his creation before He created the world. Again, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. To me is an abstraction to say that in creating the world, he anticipated that the world would eventually have the need for a savior. And he did so knowing that there would be so much difficulty and struggle. But he did so as an expression of his love. Because in the end, he would have people who would receive the love of God for themselves. And I'm going to come back to this again in verse 26. But in verse 25, O righteous Father, the world has not known you. 
but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. Now, there's certainly a lot more to know about our God besides the fact that he sent Jesus. And so we've got a long ways to go when it comes to the idea of knowing our God. But this is the beginning. This is where things get started. This is not where things end. This is where things begin. This is where the relationship begins. This is where it just gets started. And it gets started because of forgiveness. And forgiveness is executed through the death of the Messiah, which is about to take place. This is the end of his ministry. This is when he is going to be arrested. This is when he's going to be executed. And the way that he was executed was the way that God made the provision for the forgiveness of the sins of the world, which is the beginning of understanding the love of God. Continuing into verse 26, And I have declared to them your name, and will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. This is the end of his prayer, the end of the Lord's prayer, at the end of his ministry, that the love with which you loved me may be in them. This is what it's all about, that we may be loved by our God. And this is only possible because the sin issue will come to an end. When the sin issue comes to an end, that is the beginning of being loved by our God, that he remembers our sins no more, that he is patient, that he is long-suffering that he will take these sins upon himself in the way that he did so that he can say, look, I want something with you. I want something new with you. This is a beginning. It is a beginning. It is not the end. It is the beginning for us to build on. It is the very foundation through which we can begin to understand the love of God, that he is patient, that he is kind, that he keeps no records of wrongs. He does so so that he can meet the deepest needs of our hearts. He created us to be loved by him. But when the sin issue became an issue, which began with Adam and Eve and has continued ever since, there have been an abundance of reasons as to why our God would not love us. Legitimate reasons why he would not accept us, an abundance of good reasons, as is well defined by the knowledge of good and evil by the law. But through forgiveness, he has fulfilled the demands of the law, the requirements of that which is good and evil, in order to set us free, and to set him free as well, so that he can accept us, so that he can be a part of our lives, so that he can love us in the midst of our sinfulness. And the love that he gives us will change us, will transform us. For example, there are many sins that people commit just because they want to be loved. Many sins. I'm confident that if you were to spend a reasonable amount of time thinking about this subject in your own life, that you would find that there are a lot of things that you do 
just because you want to be loved, and yet these are things that are considered to be sin. If you will rest in the love that your God has for you, then it will set you free from the temptations to engage in these sins because you can rest in the love that you already have instead of trying to pursue the love that you hope to get, but you never will. And so this is the significance of the end of verse 23 and the end of verse 26. And have loved them as you have loved me, in verse 23, and in verse 26, that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. And I will continue into chapter 18 in the next program. Thank you for listening. This is the 113th program in the verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John. In this program, I was in John chapter 17, verses 18 through 26. I spent some time reviewing verse 18 and added a few comments about the different kinds of collective efforts that we could be involved in as the Lord sends us into the world or as we just go because we want to. I also continued into verse 20 where Jesus spoke about his desire that there would be more unity between us as his children, as believers in the gospel. But this unity is only going to be achieved to the degree that we are in agreement with the truth that God has revealed. But because we are in a state of growth and change, we are always in a state of change in terms of what our understanding of the truth is. Now, the expectation, of course, is that as we grow more in our knowledge and understanding of who our God is, that what we believe the truth is will, of course, conform more and more to what he believes. But in the meantime, there is going to be a measure of disunity between us just because of these differences and disagreements concerning what we think is the truth that our God has revealed. And I will continue in the next program. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net